0: Imposter syndrome is a difficult one because you have to come to terms with the fact that you are good enough and even if you are not, it's okay, you will get there. No one else is judging yourself more than you are. Welcome
1: to Consciously Alive, a weekly podcast about how to live outside the rules, go against the norm and consciously create a life that lights you up and makes you come alive. I'm your host, Phoebe Greenacre. I'm a spiritual business coach, somatic therapist, and founder of The Self-Care Space. I'm equal parts business and equal parts wellness, and I'm here to tell you anything is possible. Let's dive in. So welcome back today's episode. We are going to be chatting to a neuroscientist called Nicole Vinola. She is not only a neuroscientist, but a brain performance coach, an organizational speaker. She is a business owner and entrepreneur, and she coaches people on brain health, on longevity, on mindset change, and optimizing your brain performance power by using science-based evidence. I am super excited for this conversation, so let's dive in. Welcome Nicole. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited to have you here because I am obsessed with neuroscience and I was just talking to my husband last night about maybe I go back to school and study to be a neuroscientist. So (laughs) I am going to pick your brains apart today if that's okay. Of course, of course.
0: You might hate it for three years while you're at university but it will all pay off in the end.
1: Yeah. So I think that's like getting to know, like I'm 38 and I've been to uni already and I've also retrained like seven times. So I love studying, yeah. but I definitely don't like long courses yeah. <laughs> because I get bored. Yeah. And I think that's the, um, I don't know if you know about human design or using human design, but my human design is manifesting generator. Yeah. And so I kind of get bored of things and just
0: be like, I'm done so yeah and you Let's, have to study the things you don't want to study either so you're sort of going down on a nanometer scale and then you're kind of like why well, is this relevant but it is relevant but you just don't really yeah. care in the moment so. <laughs> yeah.
1: and we all have a brain right so we and we're not given a manual or taught anything really like here is like I suppose back in school you know before you go into any type of like deep deep work it's like oh you have a left side and a right side Maybe you're taught about frontal lobes and, you know, the different, you know, areas of the brain, but we're not really taught like how complicated it is, how, you know, how to use it or like how to, I suppose, biohack your brain. Like there's so many ways that we can like work with the complexity of our brains. So Let's start at the beginning. How did you come to study neuroscience? Um, and, and yeah, tell us a little bit your, about your journey. I kind of did a little deep dive into your Instagram posts and saw that you had to, like, come to England with one suitcase and you, you, you couch surfed before you could then apply. Yeah. I want to know about that story.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I went to school in South Africa, but I my stepfather died in my last year of school and to be honest I was never really good at school anyway I was quite rubbish I wasn't I just didn't like to study you know Um, and I guess no one had taught me the value or I never really thought that I'd go to university either I don't know what I thought so 18 years old 19 years old I decided I was going to move to England I was going to try and study I knew I had to redo everything so I had to live in the country for three years before I could get a student loan I had to yeah Couch surf for a few months to figure out, you know. But I basically came with one suitcase. I was actually living in Germany before and I was all pairing and I absolutely hated it. And the parent, who was a single mother, she said, Well, you're going to London on holiday this weekend to see your friends. Why don't you just stay? And I was like, Because my friends have a hotel for four nights and then they go and then I don't know anyone. But yeah, okay. <laughs> so I made it work. I just figured it out. I, yeah. Started working. I went back and did my GCSEs. I went back and did an access course, which is like a foundation year before you mm. go to university. And then, yeah, decided to study neuroscience. I actually tried to, to study medicine as well. Um, so I applied to medicine and neuroscience, and I got into neuroscience first thing. And I I was really sort of like smitten. And that's it. That's uh, me. <laughs> I would be too. Hats
1: off to you because I think so many people out there see that path is too hard and not possible. And, and like put it in the too hard basket. I'm going to take the easy way out and all the easy way that's like right in front of me, I'm just going to go work and that's it. Like I'm going to put my dreams aside and just, you know,
0: go follow the money. Yeah. I was 26 or 27 when I started university. So everyone was around sort of 18, oh sorry, eight years younger than me. Um, and I felt, I felt really out of it. I, it took me a whole year just to relearn how to study you know, whereas I think uh, a lot of my peers had, I guess, if you will, an advantage because they just come straight off school, maybe taking a gap year and then gone back into it. So, yeah, it took me about a year to properly get into it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But the first year of university sucks, really, doesn't it? Because there's all the, your, your fundamental levels and, you know, your, your basic kind of things that they try and weed out the students to
0: see who's actually really like keen to stick around yeah Um, so when you're a bit older you have a different way of living so I still wanted to work because I didn't want to you know live like a student I had been working in London earning good money so when I went back to university I wanted to sort of uphold a similar lifestyle so it was quite I was doing my tax returns while everyone was sort of taking breaks in December so yeah. yeah. No,
1: I, I understand when I was 18, when I was at uni, I had three jobs because I hated living. Um, I didn't want to live in Australia. So I was saving up to kind of escape. So I literally did the minimal thing, the minimal study, like just went to the things that I had to get my names marked off. And then I was like, I just want to get the certificate and get out of there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And but I think if I went back as a, a like more of a, you know, a mature age student, I would have a different
0: perspective yeah you probably it, persevere a bit more you'd learn you know you have better discipline you have more drive to do it maybe have a bigger picture in mind as well because sometimes people go to university when they're young and they don't really know why they're there they're just kind of doing it and i actually didn't know what i was going to do with it afterwards and i had this sort of impending doom when i finished my degree that i was gonna i just wasted sort of 30 40 grand on a degree that i was never going to use that's excluding my student and my maintenance loans. So yeah, about 60 grand. And I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And then I just had this epiphany to go into organization. So that's when I did my master's in organizational psychology. I wanted to marry neuroscience with the masses. So essentially make it accessible to people in the industry. So hopefully doing my, well, I'm putting in some proposals now for my research on brain processing speed and how we can improve it so that I can then work with individuals in the workplace and improve their decision-making skills by improving their brain processing speed. So yeah, I feel like I finally sort of found my way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So like what the world needs today, because I feel like there's so much disconnect between um, working, working hard, studying, uh, and, and how to apply. Like we're all trying to get better at life. Like most people are, we want to get fitter or we want to get, um, we want to have increase our bank balance or we want to travel the world more. You know, we're always kind of looking to increase more, but we, some we often don't know how to get there. And that's perfect where you come in. Um, one of the areas of brain, uh, brain science that I love is neuroplasticity and I help women change directions in their career and yes. leave leave the 9 to 5 do the scary things you know break up with their boyfriends move overseas like start over like it's never too late to start over I love that and <laughs> And, um, and I, lo- I love doing it too. Like it yeah. lights me up. It makes me come alive. And I think that's where this, this podcast came around about like consciously choosing things or steps or actions that light you up and make you come alive because life is too short to just, you know, get your paycheck and pay your bills. Exactly. So let's bring it back to you because you're the expert in this. What helps people um, take those big steps? And I'm a big believer that you should start to take mini steps, like the things, little things that scare you before you go and like, you know, quit your job, run away overseas, that kind of thing. In your field of expertise, (laughs) what would you suggest is, you know, where do people start to like opening up new pathways to thinking differently and getting outside that square?
0: Well, doing both works, either throwing yourself in the deep end or doing baby steps and I'll explain both. So baby steps is great because you sort of do something, you tick it off, you get that dopamine feeling of like reward and happiness, you've just achieved something. Then that gives you the confidence to do something else. And if you're working through a to-do list maybe as well, or a small step towards changing, that feeling is going to sort of like have a snowball effect. And by the, by the by the time you decide to then take the leap and leave your job or whatever it is, um, you are a bit more confident. You have more reassurance that you have tried these things and it's been fine. So now your brain knows, okay, it's fine to be out of your comfort zone because we've learned. So we call that experience-dependent plasticity. So we learn from the things around us. We learn from our surroundings. We learn from our somatosensory input. So any information that's coming into the brain, whether it's through touch, sight, hearing, uh, taste, we learn You know, through our senses. So learning that we can do these things and we're still safe, is is good because our brain is now understanding and it's the same thing with a breakup you know your first breakup you have that and it's horrible you know and maybe even your second and third one you always have like one really bad one and then you go okay actually this is now I know what I'm doing you know and then it doesn't feel so scary anymore because you understand that it's okay you've been through it before you know how it's going to play out and you know that everything's going to be fine but if you don't know that things are going to be fine it can be quite daunting okay so one aspect of it now the other aspect of it is if you do decide to throw yourself in the deep end we have a huge surge of norepinephrine or noradrenaline if you're in the uk the americans and i think australians call it norepinephrine in the uk it's noradrenaline, so it's the same thing i might say one or the other but it's essentially the same neurotransmitter and when you are in a high heightened sense of stress or mental stress it can be bad but it's also prerequisite for change. So for plastic change, you need norepinephrine and you need acetylcholine, so two neurotransmitters that help you rewire your brain. So you could jump in it in the deep end and force yourself to change because you're going to have to make it work no matter what, you know. otherwise you'll end up sort of not having a job and not having income. And this is a really weird analogy, but I'll explain it anyway. And it's not th- to do with norepinephrine it's got to do with oxytocin actually but you see it in young dads right that they don't think they can be parents they think oh my gosh how am I going to do this now the mother has nine months to sort of of the oxytocin to come to terms with the fact that this is happening the dads are normally going nine months freaking out and then when the baby arrives there's such a huge surge of oxytocin in the brain that it actually changes everything that they believe in to then be like okay now it makes sense. And that's kind of why you see that. So something similar happens when you throw yourself in the deep end. So I had a company that was going through a major redundancy. So I came in and I gave them a, a sort of workshop on how we can leverage stress in our favor, not to diminish the fact that stress is bad, but if you can adopt a growth mindset around change or scary things or the fear, you're already halfway there in my opinion, because. Always going to be faced with adversities your entire life. So if you can sort of look at it like, okay, this sucks right now, but I'm in a brilliant position to change, to learn something new, then yeah, you're, you've got it, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And I suppose does it depend on the person? So I know I jump in the deep end with a loads of things, but I have learnt in my studies of like somatic therapy and yoga and meditation how to re-regulate my nervous system. So if someone doesn't know how to do that or they have, uh, you know, maybe they've, they've got some trauma in their body and they, so when they are in the deep end in things, they can freak out or freeze or be like completely paralyzed with the overwhelm of what needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like the central the central nervous system and, and and how that's important when managing stress and maybe mental health and big decision making?
0: Yeah. So what I like to do with my clients is work on stress thresholds. Stress thresholds is such a mouthful. Um, because if you have never really reached that level of stress and managed to recover from it, your brain's not going to know and your body's not going to know, right? So it will be harder for someone like that to then jump into the deep end to understand again going back to experience dependent plasticity to understand that it's okay so with regulating your central nervous system if you're one of those people that say runs an ultramarathon or has been able to get their stress threshold really high they're going to be able to recover much better because the the bar is higher you know so um yes so that to answer your question yes regulating your central nervous system is paramount because we can't really like it's quite hard to function in a state of heightened stress, your your emotional brain or your limbic system takes over, your critical thinking, that's your frontal lobe that's sort of impaired in a way, so it's really hard to make tough decisions or sort of any decisions and that's why people either fight, fight flight or freeze and most of the time in those situations people will freeze or sort of like bury their heads in the sand and just sort of like run away from it, pretend that it doesn't exist. So stress thresholds for me are extremely important that's you can do that through exercise you can do that through you know cold water exposure or saunas heat exposure so staying calm in a state where your body's in heightened stress so if you think about a boxer you put him in a boxing ring his body can be under immense amount of stress but he can stay calm mentally you put uh, someone who's never boxed before in a boxing ring they're going to freak out right so that's a nice sort of Explanation of how these stress thresholds work. And I encourage everyone and anyone to push those boundaries so that your brain knows when it gets to that place, it's okay, we've been here before and we can recover. Yeah.
1: So maybe, yeah, taking smaller, uh, when we're talking about changing careers or, you know, doing different um, jobs or starting your own business, that maybe start small, start on the side and then like, You know practice and then you're like oh it's safe safe to be here let's go a little bit further
0: yeah okay it's safe to be here and then go a little bit further but ideally you'd want to do something alongside it that's going to take your body into stress physically so control stress like exercise or you know all the other modalities that i just mentioned so they actually have a profound effect on separating those two systems that you can become under pressure
1: so for people at home that are maybe thinking of doing some big decision change that if they're not don't have an exercise routine or a, a, or you know rituals where you know you are pushing your body a little bit out of the norm that that's going to really help you gain more strength and gain more like window of resiliency yeah. so that when you're faced with adversity it it really you know you can yeah. lean on that a little bit right. like oh, I've
0: been here before Exactly 100% Oh, I love it.
1: Um, I love this stuff so much. <laughs> and, and I, I, I've, <laughs>
0: um,
1: okay. So next let's talk about, I know you um, share a lot about sleep and how important it is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about why we need sleep, Why? how much sleep we need, um, why is it so important? And what happens when we don't get enough sleep, or we don't get enough continued, like on long, ongoing, like sleep deprivation, yeah. and how that affects our physical body, our mental body, even our emotional body? Yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. So the the brain. Well, I'll start with you know reaction time and sort of the thinking part of you know when you're tired and you can't think straight. don't quite understand why that is but we know that it has a huge effect now we know that affects our reaction time it affects our psychomotor skills so how quickly we can react to things did you know that chernobyl was actually due to lack of sleep Mm. plant explosion yeah 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 yeah. wow it's paramount we know that but we know that when you're tired you can't think straight on a physical level they've done extensive amounts of research and one of the, there's two really important papers that I want to bring up. So one of them was they basically put people on a six hour sleeping schedule a night, and they found that 711 of their genes had been altered. Half of them were upregulated in a way that was um, sort of promoting tumor processing and tumor production, and the other half were downregulated in a way that was inducing inflammation in the body and uh, impairing the immune system. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's just six hours of sleep a week. Now, the thing is, we can't catch up on sleep. You can't sort of sleep. And there's also no such thing as too much sleep if you can sleep 12 hours every day thank you for saying that <laughs> and also if you're really stressed or really tired or going through a really difficult period I've got clients that go through breakups and stuff and they feel bad for sleeping and I'm thinking no your body needs it sleep if you need to sleep sleep the problem with sleeping too much is that normally you bleed into the circadian rhythm of the day so you're sleeping into the daytime now you're offsetting your ultradian rhythms you're offsetting your circadian rhythm so now your cortisol is not spiking accordingly so when we wake up our cortisol spikes in line with us waking up and then it drops off in line with us being able to go to sleep so normally what happens is people don't spike their cortisol up enough during the daytime so that it doesn't sort of come down in time enough for sleep right and then they're awake and then they're awake. <laughs> in the night time exactly so that's why it's really important to keep to a similar schedule now i appreciate that there are some people that do shift work I have a client who has become so accustomed to being able to adjust to the shift work. I should probably get her on a podcast and tell everybody how, because I get loads Mm. of questions. But She's been in it for years, but she does try and maintain a similar schedule, even though it's changing on a weekly basis, if that makes sense. Mm. There's another really important paper, and this is gonna sound bonkers because most people are like, I don't stay up for 36 hours, but they kept individuals up for 36 hours And again, the way that the inflammation had sort of manifested itself in the body was paramount. It was sort of a lot. (laughs) I can't give you numbers, but I was like shocked when I read this paper. I mean, inflammatory cytokines were sort of like, you know, booming all over the place. Um, Mm. And you're thinking, well, I don't, you know, 36 hours seems a bit crazy, but. I know a lot of people in London that work sort of in the city and are sort of substance abusing and but Mm. considering the substance abuse just the lack of sleep in itself has already got detrimental effects on the body so those are two really important papers and the thing with sleep is that it regulates everything so when we're asleep we release testosterone we release growth hormone and that's really important, especially for men, but also for women, right? Mm. You have sort of deep sleep and then REM, sleep, deep sleep, REM. So in our REM, so the sort of higher, higher sort of wavelength of the night, you release testosterone. And in the deeper end of your sleep, that's when you release growth hormone. Mm-hmm. So people that are not sleeping enough hours, so up to eight hours, they are losing an entire REM cycle. So that's 25% of your nightly testosterone release you do Mm. testosterone throughout the day so it amounts to sort of around 10 to 15 percent overall but that's still a huge number especially if you're someone that exercises or that needs you know more testosterone if you will for whatever reason you're you're lifting or you're running you have a busy schedule testosterone is the hormone that's Keeps you going. It's the you know the one that you can see it in women that don't have enough testosterone. There's a lot of body fat on the bellies. You can see it in men. They sort of start getting um, you know man boobs, if you will. <laughs> so, and that's lack of sleep. But I also say that there are some people who can function in six hours of sleep, and that's absolutely fine. I know a lot of people like that. I would love to sort of know how they're feeling but they you know they claim that it's fine and I know a lot of people that are fine there's also research to research suggest that biphasic sleeping so sleeping for four hours then being awake and then sleeping for another four hours so that's really important for maybe young mothers or young fathers who just had a baby so there is research to research support that we can sleep like that in sort of four hour windows but sleep even though I'm telling you how important it is, I know it's one of the biggest things that people struggle with. It's like very well me saying, go and sleep more, but most people do struggle with knowing how to sleep. And it is a skill. It's something that I think you learn. So we go through the whole day sort of ruminating or or in, of we don't go through the day. We go through the day in work mode all the time. Now we have two systems. We have the central executive network, which is your cognitively demanding tasks, your work, your sort of focused work. And then you've got your default mode network. Your default mode network is what are you thinking about when you're not thinking about anything, when you're mind wandering, when you're doing the dishes and your mind's just sort of going. It's also the network that you access when you meditate. So what tends to happen is a lot of people will work, 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 because they don't want to sit with their thoughts, right? Those two systems can't be on together at the same time. They, they are together on at the same time, in individuals who suffer with ADHD. That's another complex topic in and of itself, but that's usually why people with ADHD tend to sort of mind wander a bit more, because it's an asynchrony in the way that those two systems fire. But in theory, they don't fire simultaneously, and in ADHD, they don't either, really. But what I'm trying to get at is that normally what happens is people are in work, 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 They get into the night and they haven't really had a chance to sit with those feelings that they maybe wanted to think so then they start ruminating in bed at night thinking send that email or I shouldn't have said that to a colleague you know whereas if we can make space for that during the day so set a timer sort of two three four o'clock a you'll feel much better because you'll feel more energized two you're allowing your brain to sort of sift through any thoughts or emotion that it needs to do so that when you get to bedtime, you're not doing it then because I think we can all agree that we lie in bed worrying, thinking, ruminating or daydreaming, you know, if you will.
1: Yeah. I go straight to bed. I'm like one of those people that just like I have used all my energy the whole day. So as soon as I put my head down, I am, I am down. Okay. But yeah, in inside my, um, my platform, the self care space, the sleep category is the most watched, Every single day, every single month, yeah. I have sleep meditation, yin for sleep, yeah, like and a lot of emotional, physical, mental, spiritual release stuff so that people can then finally let go yeah. of all of the things that are happening. Yeah. Um, so this is why maybe a 4 o'clock meditation might be good because mm-hmm. you can ruminate in that section. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Allowing space for it's like rumination time. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally.
1: Let's talk about um, meditation then, and the effects of how that can then help sleep, help all of the things in your life when you can sit in stillness with
0: your thoughts and just be. Yeah. So the default mode network, as I said, is the place where you sort of mind wandering. The thing with meditation is that it sort of teaches you to stay within the fulcrum if you will so when you start meditating you kind of don't really know what you're doing you're sort of like all over the place trying to bring it back to center but as you keep meditating you learn to keep it more composed if you will I don't really know exactly how to explain I hope that makes sense so it's not that you sort of start wandering around you go "No, no no you shouldn't go there come back it's just that your brain doesn't go as far out with the rumination or with the thinking now I've got into this sort of blissful wonderful spot where i i understand what's going on so i actually do let myself wonder Mm. and see how creative i can get because your default mode network is also the area of creativity it can be Mm. upregulated in a way that makes you ruminate more so negative self-referential information worry concern or thinking about that time you said something really silly and you feel embarrassed that's the default mode network creeping in to sort of bite you (laughs) but Mm. It can also be upregulated in a way that makes you more creative. So, individuals who are more creative have the ability to siphon their autobiographical memories and use them as inspiration. And that's where mm. the divide is with people that aren't as creative, right? They sort yeah. of see things, remember them, and then they can use them for inspiration.
1: Sometimes the most productive thing we can do is to tune out from the rest of the world and go within. Pressing the pause button to refill our cup is not selfish, it's essential. The self-care space makes your journey of healing accessible, clear and enjoyable. I've created this sacred container so you can find your center and come back to your true home on a daily basis with ease, grace and clarity you'll experience a comprehensive video library with practices ranging from five minutes to full weekend retreats so you can create your own bespoke self-care routine. Start your free
0: seven-day trial today. So meditation helps you sort of contain that that rumination, if you will. It almost like it, it sifts through all all the things that you need to say you to yourself, right? And if you're talking to yourself enough, then after a while, you're gonna be more in tune with yourself. You're gonna understand yourself better. You would have said all the things you have to say, and now you can work on, I almost feel like you can work on something together. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that, that sits pretty well with some of my clients. It's like an analogy that I think works really well because we, we push those emotions away so much that then when we get down to confronting them, it can be really scary. Then meditation feels really hard, it feels really tricky. We don't know what we're doing. We we're thinking about negative things that we shouldn't be thinking about, but over time, it's like you're talking it out with your friend. You know, if you have an issue with a friend and you talk it out, by the end of the talk, you'll be fine.
1: Yeah,
0: That's kind of the way yeah. of meditation.
1: Yeah, which is a beautiful way to look at it. I I love, I, I offer my clients loads of different skills tools or entry points to like start conversation with your emotions like why are you here
0: yeah
1: why have you come yeah is there something that you want to tell me because um you know we can have this dialogue with our emotions or with yeah. those different parts of ourselves that sometimes can give us the answers that we've been seeking yeah. or searching or looking for yeah. um if you're at home and wondering or scared about starting to meditate or be with your thoughts, what's one piece of advice that you can offer?
0: So I saw something on a Instagram post and it was kind of like making friends with your anxiety. (laughs) Sounds really crazy, but I'm a Gemini. So I kind of have almost like a second version of me. That's my own best friend that I do talk to. And I think being able to confront yourself is a very valuable tool. But secondly, you can then learn to you know, listen to what you have to say instead of putting it away all the time. So I know that with clients that have major anxieties and major sort of negative inf- uh, thoughts, intrusive thoughts, almost all of them, I would say nine, 9 out of 10, have all said, I don't know why I haven't been doing this sooner because I'm now my own best friend, you know? Mm. And those thoughts were really scary because it's like when, again, I bring it back to approaching your best friend with an argument, it can feel really scary and you don't really want to say anything. And then as soon as you start saying something, it suddenly like builds up. It gets maybe a bit ugly, but then, you know, generally, in theory, it all levels itself out. So yeah. start small, start with two minutes, start with three minutes, start, you know, go to five, go to 10. And I yeah. think... If you can have a guided meditation, that's great. I like to do moving meditation. I roll out of bed and I have my headphones on. I've got quite trippy music and I just kind of like move my body. So I'm thinking about things, but I'm also doing something else because I think that's just what I like. Mm. And the other thing is I think meditation doesn't need to be that scary. I sometimes just call it a non-sleep deep rest. All I want for my clients is to put their phones away for 10 minutes and just check in. How are you feeling? Because how often do you do that on a daily basis? I mean, you probably do it. I do it, but I know a lot of people that don't do it. And then they go, what? Check in with myself. That's so weird. And I'm like, "But well, why? Yeah. <laughs> friend. You check in with, you know what I mean? So you, you don't want to get to that end of the day. And then you're checking in with yourself and you're in bed and you're irritable and you're tired and, you you know, you can't think straight, so then you start really going into the negative realms of thinking. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's a great piece of
1: advice for um, the community at home. Okay, so we kind of touched on a little bit with like positive mindset and negative mindset. So let's talk about how, you know, there's nearly 80,000 thoughts that we have in a day um, that, you know, nearly 80% can be critical and they're there to potentially protect us or help us. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that and maybe some tools that you have to um, combat or, to help replace the negative thoughts with a positive thought. Um, yeah, let's yeah. start there.
0: I'll start by saying that we do have a negativity bias. So I don't know if you saw a couple of Instagram posts ago, I posted the feelings wheel, and loads of people were saying, oh my gosh, but there's only two happy feelings out of the eight, you know? And mm, i like, yeah, yeah, that is how our brains work. So having a negativity bias and reverting to negative thinking is actually normal. Okay, through conditioning, through how we've seen our parents. And I think we're part of the generation. I'd like to believe that we are part of the generation that's actually going to change that because we have the tools, we have the knowledge. We now know. So knowledge is key. We now know that we have this negativity bias, but we also now know that because we have it, we can change it. Right. So that's step number one, understanding that it's okay and it's there. And this is what our brains have been designed for. But we are no longer, you know, fighting for food or having to go to war and protect our space you know we can there's other things you know many other things that we need to worry about but for the most part you know you can walk into your store and buy your food and that's a luxury Mm -hmm. you know Mm. enough so um yeah i think what i like doing with my clients is allowing them to think the negative thoughts understanding that you know there might be some truth in what they're saying, but when you're in that sort of emotional state, it's hard to reason with yourself. So go through it, come out of it, and then write it down. Three points. What were you worried about? And then are these things true? If they are not true, fine. Put it away mm. because it's not true. It was just your emotional brain talking to you. And I think, you know, you know when you're when you're hungry and you say things that you wish you hadn't said and you were angry. Okay, that's, that's it. <laughs> Um And then if it is true, okay, but there's no point in ruminating about it. Can we do anything about it? If you can, great. If you can't, well then you're just gonna have to come to terms with it, right? Mm. The other thing is, I like to use the negative thinking as a trigger to do something good for yourself, because our habits are they're quite difficult. It's hard to create a new habit, right? So how often have you started on a Monday saying this week, I'm going to start running and then you don't running is a bit hard because you can't start running every time you have a negative thought, that'll be a bit (laughs) um, probably unattainable, but maybe you want to drink more water or you want to learn to breathe better or you want to sit up straight or whatever it is. I have clients who want to sort of straighten out their shoulders. So um, you start thinking negatively, you use that as the trigger, to remind you to do something positive because you normally forget about the positive thing you wanna change. But if you can use a negative thing to remind yourself and you're like, oh, okay, well, I've just done this really bad thing about thinking about myself negatively. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna straighten up. And then you're kind of like almost humorous in a way because you're adding something good to something bad. So you start dismantling the firing pattern, you start dismantling the negative thinking by adding on something positive at the end, you're changing the puzzle piece because you've added on another piece to it. Mm. And now, in turn, it will start, the negative thing will then remind you to do something better. So it starts becoming a positive thing. And then after a while, I think that the negative thing or thoughts starts sort of dissipating more because you're going to bounce from that trigger quicker. So you negative thought, okay, no, no, actually, no, go and sit up straight, go and drink some water, go for a little walk. And I find that really helps yeah. with my clients. So, But there's also an element of, you know, not dismissing our emotions. You know, we, we need to acknowledge what we're feeling and and, and and, like I said, write it down and, sort of make sense of it. Once you start writing things down, you're activating your central executive network. I spoke about that earlier. That's your focus network. That's the network that is critical. So once you start writing it down, you can start logically thinking about whether this is actually real or whether this is your emotional brain talking.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often like to say to my clients who are struggling maybe with imposter syndrome, is this a fact or is it a feeling? Yeah. And normally it's the feeling with the imposter syndrome normal. and if I go let's go to the facts like let's go on like your education your experience what you've set up what you've already achieved yeah that's all the facts yeah um do you have any tips for imposter syndrome because it's something that you know a lot of my clients will struggle with when they are going to launch their first business
0: yeah and I think that that's particularly true with women <laughs> mm. I find that most of my women have imposter syndrome more than my male clients um whether that's through you know years of conditioning that we you know
1: aren't good enough <laughs> exactly You know, <laughs> yeah we are
0: not not yeah worse off than men or you know we don't yeah. we are not business women yeah um but it's hard i think in my opinion it's just pushing through you know you almost got to pretend like this is your business would you if you are starting a new business and you've got imposter syndrome about you posting something that's marketing wise you know, it could feel a bit daunting because now you're embarrassed that your friends are seeing that you're trying to sell something, but it's your income, it's your money, you know. And the person that fails is the person that doesn't do anything, you know. Mm. The people that are putting themselves out there are the ones that are, even if they fail, they're learning from it, but they're willing to put themselves out there to try something. And it's normally the people that are not trying or not doing something that's out of their comfort zone that are the ones judging because yeah. if I saw another woman or another man promoting something on Instagram, I'd be like, "You go, you know, you go, Glen coco It's um, yeah, for you because it's hard. It's hard, and we live in such a difficult world at the moment as well. Like financially, I don't know about in Bali, but here in England, I mean, everything is just skyrocketed price wise. So mm. I think people that are in that situation are less likely to judge other people in that situation. And they all. I, I saw this post the other day on Instagram that was saying about content creators and content consumers. And it's normally the consumers that are sort of making judgmental comments on yeah. the creators' posts and stuff because they don't have to put themselves out there. Whereas the creators are going, oh, you've made a spelling mistake. That's cool, I did one the other day because we're human and you know. yeah. So imposter syndrome is a difficult one because you have to come to terms with the fact that you are good enough. And even Mm. if you are not, it's okay, you will get there. No one else is judging yourself more than you are, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah,
1: completely. I think so many people think that like, you know, hundreds of people are watching them or their friends are waiting for them to fail, but actually no one cares really. And everyone's just doing their own thing and worrying about the pimple on their forehead or what dress they're wearing to, you know, go out on Friday night that they're not really caring about, you know, or micro analyzing everyone
0: else. And if they do, there's something deeply wrong with them not you you know if you're sitting there waiting for your friend to fail I mean what kind of a person are you if you're there sort of talking about the failures as well that's not you know that's not on you I think that's on the person that's doing that yeah so
1: I I wish so much, many more people would understand all of these uh, things that we've been talking about today. I know you have an amazing course coming up where people can learn about neuroscience and how to apply it for, you know, all of like so many amazing areas in our lives, which will help people be better humans, yes. you know. <laughs> um, tell us about it.
0: Uh, when does it start? What what, what 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 will people learn? So it starts on the 18th of July, so in just under three weeks it's essentially it's called rewire your narrative but it's much more than that i i couldn't sort of find the words to describe what it does but it's going to teach you everything about our brains how we operate how to regulate your central nervous system why we exactly what i've sort of spoken about here why we can't learn when we're in heightened sense of stress or how we can leverage it to learn you know in in heightened sense of stress so either or you know um also explaining how we form habits how we form behaviors what the difference is how we can sort of optimize ourselves to push ourselves to that next stage there'll be live q a's as well and then sort of month two is the crux of it so we, we set an intention what would you like to change and that's when we start talking about things like self-sabotage and um uh, imposter syndrome so why are we constantly Get to that next stage. So most people don't fail at their goals because they've forgotten or they're lazy. They forget or they, they don't achieve them because they're too scared. They don't actually believe that they could be this person that's moved to Bali and running their own business or moved to England with one suitcase. You know, it's there's it a big belief system there. So we start unpacking that. And then month number three is how our brain health all sort of fits in together, sleep, nutrition, hydration, how that all affects our mental acuity and agility and cognitive sort of performance. Um, So, yeah, it's great. And I've actually made a discount code for for you, for for your listeners. So it's Alive20. So you can use that. That actually applies 20% off to all three months. And the beauty of the course is that once you've paid for it, it's yours. You can come back to it at any point. You've got lifetime access to it. So if there's something else you want to learn or change, you can come back to it and apply it again. So you are equipped with the tools to carry throughout life. So even if nothing changes in that period of time because you've got a stressful sort of situation, you can come back to it and you know now how the brain works, which I think is profoundly important because, again, it goes back to knowledge, right? It completely. This should be taught in school
1: for sure. I think there would be much more uh, grounded human beings out there if this was taught in a curriculum. Yeah. Um, I know you're a bookworm and we're going to wrap it up here. So you have so many books on your Instagram, which I have added all to my list. Oh, but if you, if you were to put one book in to a high school that everyone needs to read, what book would that be?
0: Oh, tough one. Hmm. So mm, that's really tough. There's a book. You can take a moment. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's a couple, but there's one called the boy who was raised as a dog. Now that just teaches you sort of the fundamentals of the brain and how our childhood shapes us. And I loved it because I think there's a lot of people that have dealt with trauma and it teaches you how how to deal with it, how the brain works, you know, how we can recover from it. But also it shows us the importance of human connection. And he's got a wonderful quote, and I love this quote. It says something like, fire can sort of, cons- air can caress or sort of give life. Water can drench or can sort of drown. And so it is with human relationships, we can either nurture or terrorize each other. So we have the ability to do both, but the children who are in traumatic situations when they're younger, the ones that are in situations that have loving parents or a loving network that can help them thrive are the ones that recover. Mm. And that makes sense, right? I mean, you're probably thinking, of course the ones that are put into sort of maybe situations where there's even more, um, or lack of support would not thrive but it's the same with human connection we don't we we're not an island we operate as a community and i think we're so detached from that in a way and that's what i love about what i'm doing at the moment is i'm creating these like connections with people and i think it's really important because we i think it's the key to longevity is having healthy connections um and it's weird i went on a podcast recently and he and i and i truly believe i could probably live alone by myself with no interaction but i'd have to have my dog with me (laughs) but i would have that connection with nature and i have to live on a farm or you know but i understand that and i think there's a lot of people in the world that are lonely um and i think we need to be better with each other you know supporting each other more thinking twice before making a comment thinking you know it's so completely due to to each other most people that are messed up as well that are they've gone through bullying when they were children you know yeah and they've been able to recover from that and it's kind of like who are you to ruin someone's life by bullying someone else? You know. Yeah,
1: I I always like to think of um, you know you never know what the other person has gone through. Yeah. So always come in kindness yeah. because you just don't know where they're at. Yeah. And or what they've gone through.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Nicole, this has been an absolute pleasure. I have loved picking your brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you so much. Where. Where do you want to send people? I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes. So um, do you want to send people to your website, to your to Instagram? Yeah,
0: Instagram is good. So Instagram is where I'm most active. All my corporates are normally on LinkedIn. So it's Nicole Vignola. And my course is on the website, but that's all in my link tree as well. So if you just send everyone to my Instagram, uh, I can send Perfect. them as well. But everything's there. Yeah. Thank okay.
1: you so much. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nicole.
0: And you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I don't know about you, but I freaking loved that conversation. I have, like, I'm all lit up. I'm alive. All of this information just makes me so excited to get to know our bodies better, to get to, you know, welcome in that stillness and those pause. I loved that, like, idea of a four o'clock meditation or just a pause to really see, like, catch get your body to catch up with your mind and how you feel so that you don't uh, stay awake or can't fall asleep in the evenings. Definitely check out her course. It looks super, super interesting. I think I might even do it too. Um, And as always, if you loved this episode, please um, send it to a friend, tag me on Instagram, tag Nicole. Um, I love sharing the love. I love making new connections um, and creating this community of curious human beings who want to feel better and do more in the world. I did mention the self-care space today on this episode. And if you don't know what it is. It is like a Netflix of emotional healing. So you can go onto the platform and you can scroll through all of the different rituals and classes so that you help to come back to your body and feel better. So there's categories for when you're on your period. There's categories for when you need to sleep. There's categories for um, anger management and frustration. And honestly, the community that are inside, I think there's a few hundred of us now inside of the self-care space. And it is a beautiful place to start your journey or continue your journey for self-healing. So go check that out if that is calling your name. And I hope that you enjoyed today and we'll see you again next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye. Right now, more women than ever are stepping into their higher callings by creating businesses that support themselves, their families, and their communities. However, it is so common to feel lost or uncertain about where to begin. I was in that place nine years ago, and I really wish there was a program that combined business strategy with the conscious energy healing elements. The awareness of our gifts and talents can become so easily lost in the logistical side of building a business that we spiral and spin and procrastinate on the things that don't really matter the most. So, this is why I designed a business coaching model that truly supports you on every level of your being, mental, physical, emotional, and my favorite, spiritual. I've designed this women-only container to be a place of balance, alignment, and integration. As you learn practical and technical business skill sets, you also sink deeper into trust, alignment, and energetic attunement. You will learn to build with technical and strategic confidence, cultivate an unwavering belief in yourself as a CEO and the boss, babe, that you are. So the wait list is now open and you can join and I will be interviewing successful applicants in the next few weeks for the next intake. Visit the link in my bio or DM me on Instagram at Phoebe Greening me the word freedom and i would love to chat to you more about this program thank you so much for listening today don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and they're there waiting for you in your podcast app